Welcome back to He Leadeth Me, a spiritual formation podcast for focused staff, students, and friends. I'm Jessica, Focus's Manager of Spiritual Formation, and today I'm joined by Joan Watson. Joan is the Pilgrim Formation Manager at Verso Ministries, a Catholic pilgrimage company. She is in charge of forming pilgrims intellectually and spiritually before and during their pilgrimages. Before working with Verso Ministries, Joan worked for Catholic apostolates for 17 years, including the Nashville Dominicans, the Diocese of Nashville, and the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. She also is a speaker and writer and hosts two podcasts, Invia, about pilgrimage, and Joan's Take on the Chosen, which is a Catholic commentary on the Chosen. Now, Joan, we did have Jonathan Rumi come to our conference one year, and our staff love The Chosen. So I think we'll have to have another episode where we talk about The Chosen. But today I want to talk about pilgrimages. In a previous episode, I told our staff that one of the things that I recommend that they do spiritually each year is to write a list of their dreams and goals for the year. I've done this every year, probably since I was in high school. And I remember year after year, I would have on my list, I dream that one day I'll take my mom on a pilgrimage to Rome. And then in 2022, I put together a pilgrimage for my mission partners and my mom. And we went to Rome and to Assisi, to San Giovanni Rotundo, and to Mont St. Angelo. And it was just the most graceful experience. And sometimes we have some pilgrimages available to our staff. They were going to go on a pilgrimage to the Holy Land until world events disrupted that. But I think it's just such a valuable opportunity to go on a pilgrimage. And so I wanted to talk to you today just about some of the spiritual benefits of pilgrimages. And so I imagine that you feel very passionately about pilgrimages. How did you get into leading pilgrimages? Why did you think that was so important? My time of leading pilgrimages actually preceded my time at Verso. So I just started working for Verso in March when I saw a job posting for a pilgrimage company that believed so strongly in formation that they would hire somebody full time to do formation. And that just really captured my heart, even though I wasn't looking for a job at the time. My time leading pilgrimages actually goes back to my time at Aquinas College, working for the Nashville Dominicans, and then also the Diocese of Nashville, when I was working in adult formation and striving to give adults an opportunity to really encounter Christ in a very tangible way. I think sometimes when we're growing up, we have these opportunities of of maybe retreats, awakenings. I think of Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, right? Where Maria Montessori wants kids to have these tangible experiences where they're actually touching and encountering. But as adults, it's it's harder sometimes to have these opportunities. And I know that travel, because it takes us out of our comfort zone, it gives us peace, it gives us rest, it awakens different things in us. That's the time when we can really encounter Christ and let Christ encounter us. And so I made it part of my program when I looked at adult formation that this is a way for adults to really, I mean, in a sense, touch the heartbeat of the church, whether that's in Rome, whether that's in the Holy Land, whether that's at Lourdes or Fatima, to touch these moments where God broke through to encounter us. And so now we go to encounter him. Yeah, I love what you're talking about there with just, it's good for us to travel. Uh, And travel doesn't even necessarily mean pilgrimage, but 
travel takes us out of our comfort zone and we have oftentimes less control over things that we would have control over when we are in in our native place or in our homes. And yet pilgrimages are different than vacations. I remember when I was promoting my pilgrimage to my mission partners, they were talking about, oh, I'd love to go to Italy. The food there would be amazing and the wine and everything. And I had to kind of explain to them, this is a pilgrimage. It's not a vacation. But a lot of times people think that a pilgrimage is just a religious vacation. So how do you show people the difference there? Yeah, I think what, and this is something we talk a lot at Verso about. And I think one of my, my favorite kind of comparisons is to think of the tourist. And there's nothing wrong with being a tourist, right? There's nothing wrong with going on vacation. But the tourist seeks to consume Whereas the pilgrim seeks to receive. And, mm. and when you think about like going on a vacation, you're taking pictures and you're, you're eating and you're drinking and you're, you're kind of consuming this experience. You're maybe leaving cares behind and going into this experience where you're taking it all in. Whereas on a pilgrimage, oftentimes you're actually not leaving your cares behind. You're taking your cares with you because you're going to place it at the altar of the Lord, right? So you're, you're not leaving your cares behind. You're taking them with you. And you aren't consuming in that same way, but rather you're receiving what the Lord has to give you. It doesn't mean that you might not eat great food. It doesn't mean that, you know, you might not enjoy these cultural incredible. I mean, we believe in a sacramental worldview, which means that God wants to reach us and wants to encounter us in the things of the world. Everything can be a conduit of grace, right? God works through everything. So I believe that God can work through a great plate of pasta and a great glass of wine and a great conversation over dinner. And I've had those experiences where I really feel the Lord at a great meal, right? Whether that's hummus in the Holy Land or gelato in Rome. But we we know that we're entering into this pilgrimage to receive something. And it might not be what we're expecting to receive. And so I always encourage pilgrims to go on a pilgrimage with an open heart, with an open mind, with an open heart. And just be ready to receive rather than consume. It's a nuance, but I think it's a really important nuance. Yeah, that's an absolutely important nuance. Very different. What you're saying is just, it's kind of reminding me of when I read in St. Therese's diary, Story of a Soul, when she went on pilgrimage to Rome with her father, she talks about the physicality of the Catholic faith. We're physical beings and the Catholic faith has so much to touch and experience sacramentally. And when she went on pilgrimage, that's one of the things that she loved was that she was able to touch things. And sometimes she wanted to touch things she wasn't supposed to touch. She wanted to go underneath the ropes and touch where the martyrs had been. But that speaks to a real need in our hearts. You know, so much of what we do today is virtual. Mm -hmm. Like our students will attend virtual classes or we have meetings with people over screens. And that's why I think pilgrimage speaks to people in a radically different way and perhaps even more than it spoke to people in past stages of the church because we're so virtual today. And when we have something that's physical and challenging and allows us to really enter in with our whole being, including our physical being, that's incredibly powerful for us. Yes. I love the word encounter. I think that's at the the crooks of any pilgrimage, whether it's an overseas pilgrimage or a pilgrimage down the street. It is about the destination, but it's also about the journey and it's about that desire to encounter. And and I love that you mentioned St. Therese, because one thing I remind people when they go on pilgrimage, that they're they're walking also in the footsteps of fellow saints 
who have pilgrimaged before us. And so I think of St. Therese and you can, you can read about her going to the Colosseum, right? You can read about her encountering these places. And so when you're in Rome, you're walking the footsteps of Peter. Absolutely. Paul. Yes. But St. Francis and Catherine of Siena and St. Therese and Carlo Acutis. And you're encountering these places with your friends. And, and that's one thing, you know, pilgrimage is this microcosm of life, which is another theme that we bring out a lot. That's what our podcast in Via is all about. And, and part of life is accompanying people on that pilgrimage of life. And that's something I think Focus does really well and talks about. But when we're on pilgrimage, we realize we're surrounded by our fellow pilgrims, but we're also surrounded with, by our saints and by our friends like St. Therese, who was there before us. I think that's really powerful to, again, shake us out of our everyday life and remind us what this Christian journey is really all about. That's so true. One thing that was so powerful for me when I was in Italy, we went to Mont St. Angelo. The guide pointed out to us that the Tau Cross was carved into the rocks near the cave. And the Tau Cross is St. Francis's symbol for himself. And so St. Francis had made that pilgrimage, and he felt himself unworthy to enter the cave where St. Michael had appeared. And so he carved his symbol outside of the cave, and he wouldn't enter in. And St. Francis is one of my spiritual heroes, as everybody knows. I'm obsessed with him. And so it was so moving for me to think that I was traveling to a place where someone who I consider to be a father, to me a spiritual father, had traveled before me. And all these generations of saints and faithful people were also making these pilgrimages before me. Now, can you tell us a little bit about the history of pilgrimages? Because we see this in so many of the lives of the saints. How far back does this go? So, you know, pilgrimage actually is in a lot of religions, right? So almost every religion has this idea of pilgrimage, of a journey, and it shows that it's written on our hearts, right? This is the way God made us. And so he has made us kind of for this inward journey, this inward transformation that every once in a while has an outward manifestation on an actual trip, right? So we have it in a lot of different religions. In Christianity, we see it from the very beginning. We see it very, very early on that people wanted to go to Jerusalem to walk the way of the cross, the Via Della Rosa, to touch the places that Jesus lived, to such an extent that we have the church fathers kind of saying, yes, go to the Holy Land, and other church fathers saying, you know, it's more important that you're holy where you are, right? Like, don't build up pilgrimages, the only way to be holy. So we kind of have in the writings of the church fathers, an approval of pilgrimage, and then a caution against pilgrimage for various reasons. But we have it then through the, the history of the church, whether it's Jerusalem, which would have been the first place. But not long after that, people started going to Rome to see the tombs of the martyrs, to pray at the tombs of the martyrs, to pray at the tomb of Peter. So we have very, like, not that long after Peter was was killed at the end of the first century, we have pilgrims making their way to his tomb. And so we have pilgrims going to see what it was just called the Veronica, the icon of Christ that was kept in St. Peter's Basilica. We think of going to Rome to see the Pope. Most of church history, no one went to Rome to see the Pope. They went to Rome to pray with the saints and to pray at the tombs of the saints to see the Veronica. And it's nice the Pope lived there, but he wasn't the celebrity he is right now, right? And so um, then we have these other pilgrimage sites cropping up. They made pilgrimages for a variety of reasons. It started out as a pious devotion. We see, for example, St. John Chrysostom encouraging pilgrims 
to arouse devotion by going to the places of the saints. So he said, even though the places are lifeless, you're going to find life in these places. So he's telling pilgrims to go. And that's still why we go on pilgrimage, right? To arouse devotion, zeal. We have pilgrims going to seek healing. We have pilgrims going to fulfill vows in thanksgiving for answered prayers. And we have pilgrims going to do penance. So in the annals of the Inquisition, we have certain places listed that you can go here to do penance. You can go to Rome. You can go to St. Thomas's tomb at Canterbury. You can go to Compostela, St. James. You can make the Camino. Or interestingly, you could go to Cologne, Germany, to the relics of the three kings, which I think is really interesting. We don't think of that still as a pilgrimage spot, but it's kind of neat that in a sense, they were the first pilgrims to go on pilgrimage to find the baby Jesus. So it's always been part of the church history for various reasons, which is why when you go on pilgrimage, you're in this family history, right? You're joining with all these others that have gone before you. Now, that's very interesting about the penance. I did an episode with Father James Brent, one of our favorite priest guests, and we talked about penance. And one of the things that he mentioned is that he loves telling people that if they want to do extra penance for their sins, they can go on a pilgrimage. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean to Rome or to a place that's far away, but even to a church that's across town. Can you talk a little bit more just about why a pilgrimage would be a penance? Yeah. So, I mean, I think part of it is just the sacrificial nature that a pilgrimage entails. And we don't think of it anymore. You might think of like the medieval pilgrimage where they were often walking barefoot. They would often wear tattered clothing and they would wear signs that they were pilgrims, that they were doing penance. And so we think of this penitential, you know, walking barefoot. It was often life-threatening, especially pilgrimages, perhaps to the Holy Land. So there was this great sense of of penance because it was sacrificial. Um, But I think it's also because they are microcosms of life. They are reminders that we were, we are all on a journey. I mean, that sounds so cliche, right? We're all on a journey. Everyone you meet is on a journey, but it's true. We're all on this journey towards heaven. Sometimes we make wrong turns. Sometimes the journey is very steep. Sometimes it's easier, right? We all have different crosses on that journey. We're all accompanying people on the journey. You know, some of us have very long journeys. We're going to live to be a hundred. Some of us have short journeys, right? We're going to die at a young age. We all have different journeys and part of that journey is sin. And part of that journey is turning around, right? When we get on the wrong path, we turn around and we repent. And so your story, and I think this is very reassuring, your story isn't over. Your story is still being written. Your journey is ahead of you. And those pilgrims took those journeys to remind themselves they were on the wrong path and now they're they're getting back on the correct path. They're making sacrifice in penance, and then they will receive an indulgence, right? So there were all these indulgences attached to, you know, maybe going to Rome during the Holy Year, which we'll have in a couple of years. We'll have 2025 as the Holy Year. There'll be various indulgences attached to the to visiting. But even now, there's indulgences attached to visiting the tombs of the saints and the basilicas. And so it's something we've forgotten about pilgrimage in some ways. And even though we're not walking barefoot, even though most of them aren't life-threatening anymore, There is plenty of sacrifice to be made. And you can attest to this. You went on a very wonderful pilgrimage. You saw beautiful things, but you have flight delays. You have lost baggage. You have fellow pilgrims who get on your nerves. You have times where you want to eat and it's not time to eat. You have times where you might want to pray in a church for another 45 minutes, but everybody else wants to leave. That's a huge sacrifice that you're on this journey with the body of Christ. And so 
that's one of the things I do in Pilgrim Formation is I help people see there are going to be sacrifices and you can either complain about it and, and waste that or you can offer that up because that's part of your penance and your your penitential journey. I think that what you were saying there that it's kind of cliched to say that we're all on a journey. I think that that is one of the most important things that people need to be reminded of right now. And pilgrimages can remind them of that because I'm thinking especially after COVID, there's lots of talk about healing in the church, which I think can be a good thing. But when people think of healing, I think that they're often thinking of this present life. And for our college students, they're thinking, how am I going to be happy in this present life? They're trying to discern God's will, and they do want to do God's will. But at the same time, there can be anxiety. Which choice is going to lead to my happiness in this life? Those are bad questions, but everybody needs to remember that the choices that we are making are either going to help us or hurt us reach our end goal. And if we remember that our end goal is to get to heaven, then everything else kind of falls into place and we can deal with the suffering that's going to come in human life because we understand how it is helping us reach our end goal. And on a pilgrimage, you can definitely enjoy the present moment of wherever you are in the pilgrimage, but you're always reminded, I'm not there yet. My end goal is to reach this certain place. And so I think that's just a really important reminder because sometimes we forget what our end goal is. And that's one of the principles, uh, seven habits of highly effective people is begin with the end in mind. And a lot of times we don't do that in the spiritual life. But a pilgrimage is a great reminder of that. Yes. Yes. That's actually one of the reasons I started the podcast in via. In via means on the way to remind us that we are all on this way. And when we begin to view life that way, it changes our outlook on life, right? I mean, I think a lot of us are stuck with this kind of ennui of like, oh, is there more to life? And especially coming out of COVID, people were questioning things. Our mental health was all, you know, COVID did wonders for our mental health in bad ways, right? And so I started the podcast because pilgrimage can be a doorway to talk about some of these things. And when you see life as an adventure, in a sense, when you see life as a pilgrimage, even the bad things are put in perspective because, you know, to paraphrase St. Therese, the world is our ship and not our home, right? And so when I begin to live life and make every decision with that end goal in mind and realize I'm on this journey you can live life differently. You can live life with a different purpose. And so that's what we talk about a lot in VIA because we're all on the way and we have to put that all in perspective. It'll change the Christian life. That's how Augustine uses the word pilgrimage. He uses it to refer to the Christian life. And so these trips are microcosms of the Christian life. And so it's really neat. In the podcast, we, we hear from pilgrims sometimes about you know lessons they learned on the trip, like losing luggage. What does that teach you to take into your daily life? But detachment, reliance on others, reliance on God. And so we take these pilgrimages, but they're just microcosms of what we're about to go back into in our daily life. Ah, that's so true. Now, returning to what we were talking about with penance, I have a fun fact that I want to share. You probably already know it. But before, when I would go on just, you know, little pilgrimages, I think the biggest pilgrimage I went on was to Rome, but we'd go on little pilgrimages and there would always be time for shopping. And sometimes I've seen pilgrimages say, this is our day for shopping. And I would kind of be a stick in the mud about that because I would be thinking, you know, like, why are we bringing this materialism into pilgrimage theology? 
And then I read an article that said that the tradition of taking home a souvenir actually comes from pilgrimages because people would go on pilgrimage on the way of St. James and it would be assigned to them as a penance, but they had to be able to prove to their confessor that they had actually reached the shrine of St. James. And so there were seashells that were only available nearby the shrine of St. James. And so they had to bring one of these seashells back to their confessor as proof that they made it all the way to the shrine and did their penance. And so that's where our tradition of getting souvenirs comes from, is I'm bringing something back to prove that I went there. And obviously, it gets a little bit deeper now because you pick out things that remind you of the place and remind you of the graces you received at that place. But that made me feel a little bit better about the shopping days. I love it. And I, I think you could do a whole podcast episode on the things that we don't realize have Catholic roots. And that would be something I bet most people don't know have their roots in Catholicism. I love bringing stuff home to remind people that I prayed for them in certain places. Mm. That's something else we stress a lot in pilgrimage is to take people with you. You know, not everybody can go on an international pilgrimage. There are many people who would love to go to the Holy Land and walk where Jesus walked. And so to bring something, even something very small back for them to kind of live virtually um, through you, but to realize their intentions were prayed for in these places can be really meaningful. Yeah, that's a wonderful idea. So tell me, what are some of the main points that you want to tell your pilgrims before or during a pilgrimage? I know that we talked about pilgrimage being a microcosm of life and the different reasons why people go on pilgrimage for healing or intercession or for penance. What else do you really want pilgrims to know about a pilgrimage? One of the things I love to stress is what I was talking about with the open mind, heart, hands. The great thing about like going on a pilgrimage maybe with Verso is that we take care of some of the details. So you don't even have to think about those details. But, you know, I don't like when people just go in like, oh, I want to be completely surprised, right? So what I do is I kind of help them by telling them, you know, these are some of the things you're going to see, because when we start to prepare ourselves that way, we can be more capable of, of recognizing, you know, if everything's a complete surprise, it can be overwhelming. So to prepare yourself by knowing what you're going to see, but also being completely open to being surprised. God loves to surprise us, but we have to be open to that. We have to be open to receiving that. And so, you know, I tell people like, go with an intention, go with expectations to a certain extent, but then be willing to be surprised. Maybe God has an answer to a prayer that you didn't even really know you were praying. Maybe he has an experience. Maybe he wants to talk through someone that you weren't expecting, right? Every once in a while, if there's free time, like when I go on a pilgrimage, if there's free time in Rome, sometimes I'll just wander and I'll tell like the Lord, this is your day. You lead me to the places I should go. And and just, I try to be open to maybe going into a church I walk by that I've never seen before, or like just being as a pilgrim, being open to what the Lord wants to do because it's his pilgrimage, right? He is seeking us. We think of ourselves as wanting to encounter him. We're only able to encounter him because he's already seeking us, right? And so that's one of the things I stress is don't be completely unprepared, but be ready to be surprised. We took about 1100 to World Youth Day this summer. And the Pope talked about like being willing to be surprised by God. And when we look at the scriptures, when we look at the lives of the saints, we have to be open to that, to being surprised by the Lord. Our plans are not his plans, and that's okay. Now, I'm sure that you've been on pilgrimage to 
a number of places. And your company, I'm sure, offers pilgrimages that you have never been on and would like to go on all of them. But I guess I have two questions for you. So one would be if somebody could only go on one pilgrimage in their lifetime, what would you recommend? And two, are there any places in the United States that you would recommend? It seems like other than the Holy Land, everything is located in Europe. It's just not fair that they have so many holy places. But is there anywhere in the United States you'd recommend? So those are both very difficult questions. Um, I get the first question a lot because I studied in Rome. I lived in Rome. Rome really is where I heard the Lord calling me to a deeper relationship with him, helped me fall in love with the church. And so I often tell people, like, if you're struggling with the church, especially a local experience of the church, Rome can really shake you out of that because it can show you the universality of the church. It can show you the history of the church. So often we become very consumed with our own experience of the church and and Rome shakes you out of that quickly. So I always recommend Rome. Rome is like my second home, but I've been to the Holy Land three times and there is nothing like going to the Holy Land. And Jordan, we go to Jordan too. And I had no expectations. I was like, why are we going to Jordan? But it was the experience of the Old Testament. Okay, why were you going to Jordan? (laughs) So it's funny because people think of Jordan and um, Petra is like the lost city of Petra, which actually wasn't lost, but it sounds cool to call it lost. It's where Indiana Jones was filmed. So there's this idea of like, ooh, the adventure of going to Petra. But it's also where the chosen people wandered in the desert. And Petra is not that far probably from where Moses struck the rock. Petra, you can see the tomb of Aaron when you're in when you're in Jordan. Um, and so Petra and, and Jordan in, in general just surprised me by being this beautiful example of the pilgrimage of the people, of, of, of the chosen people, and our desire for the Lord and the Lord's desire for us and that desert wandering. Jordan's actually where the baptismal site of Christ is. So Christ was baptized in the Jordan by John, but the Jordan River is the border between modern day Israel and Jordan the kind of shrine that stands there is in Jordan. So if you really want to see the real spot, you go to Jordan. And so I loved Jordan. I loved Israel. I loved Palestine because you're walking, obviously, where Jesus walked. And it it shakes you out of your comfort zone because things don't look the way you think they look. Stuff comes together like you never dreamed. Like in Jordan, the place where John baptized Jesus is right near where Elijah went up in the fiery chariot. And our guy just kind of said that. He's like, well, that's where Elijah went up in the fiery chariot. And I'm like, what? Can, wait, what? Can we stop the bus? Like, what do you mean Elijah went up in the fiery chariot? And then to realize, oh, that's where John the Baptist, the new Elijah was preaching. My mind exploded, right? And so it's this like tangible seeing these things that I've only read about, um, seeing the Sea of Galilee, praying at the Sea of Galilee. There's nothing like the Holy Land. And people always say, oh, you'll never read the scriptures the same when you come back from the Holy Land. I completely agree. But I would add to that as a Catholic, you never live the liturgical life the same. You'll never live Christmas the same. You'll never live Easter the same. You'll never pray the prayers of the church the same because you've been there. So I have to recommend the Holy Land. And it's just a really hard question between Rome and the Holy Land. For America, I think it's important to remind ourselves that we don't need to go overseas to go on pilgrimage. That that pilgrimage really is this, this state of mind of seeking the Lord, and the Lord is present here too. And that's what kind of the church fathers were cautioning people against. Like, if you can't go to the Holy Land, it's okay. It's more about how you're living your life and how you're seeking the Lord in your daily life. So here in the in the States, there are so many beautiful shrines. 
you could go up the, the eastern seaboard and visit tons of, of tombs of saints, right? Francis Cabrini in New York, Catherine Drexel in Philadelphia, John Newman in Philadelphia, Elizabeth Ann Seton outside Baltimore. You know, we have the Shrine of the North American Martyrs in Katiri Tekawitha. There are shrines in Canada that aren't that far away. There's Mexico City in, I know this isn't in the United States, but Mexico City isn't that far away. And so we have the beautiful Shrine of Our Lady Guadalupe. Um, we're actually leading a trip of young adults, which is really exciting. We have high school kids and young adults to Guadalupe next year. All pilgrimage sites aren't too far away. And even places where, you know, maybe there isn't a relics of the saints, like a tomb of the saints, but like Mother Angelica's shrine in Hansville, Alabama is a beautiful encounter with Christ in the Eucharist. And as we get more American saints, like in Oklahoma City, Stanley Rother, his new shrine, there are so many opportunities for us. And we miss what's at home because we all have wanderlust to go overseas. And so the California missions. So wherever you are in the United States, there are great pilgrimage sites that are probably more easily accessible, especially for some of our missionaries and college students. That's so true. I do have the wanderlust for Europe, I admit. But it's also true that there are incredible places that we can go to in our own country. I just learned recently in a homily on Mother Cabrini's feast day, the priest said that there's only two places where God brought water from the rock for the church. And one of those is Lourdes, and the other is in Colorado when Mother Cabrini prayed about where to find water. And so I can go to that shrine, and that's only, what, 10 minutes from my office here in Colorado, and other people (laughs) can come too. We sometimes forget um, what is available to us even at home. But that grace of pilgrimage is, is such an important grace that if you can't go to Europe, you should consider, well, where can I go in the United States, nearby, even a church in my local city? Just so that I can have that experience of knowing that I was on the wrong path in some ways. And now I'm going to remind myself of my end goal and go on the right path and offer to God my penance and my intercessory prayer. And just like you said, receive from him the gift that he wants to give me. Pope Francis recommends going on pilgrimage to the place you were baptized, which I think is such a beautiful, I guess in England, they have an, um, a tradition of Mothering Sunday, which we think of Mother's Day. But in England, it was traditionally a reason to go back to the church that mothered you, the, the place of your baptism. And so if you know that, especially if it's near your house, go on a pilgrimage. Again, pilgrimage is more about your disposition. And so go and say, I'm not just going to you know, just stop by, but I'm going to make this a disposition of returning home to the church that gave me the sacraments and pray for the priest that baptized you, give thanks for your baptism. It it doesn't have to be complicated. We make things so complicated sometimes. That is so cool. I've never heard of that. Now I kind of want to go to Our Lady of Nebraska Chapel in the Omaha Cathedral and uh, thank God for the grace of my baptism. Well, Joan, as we're wrapping things up today, do you have any final thoughts that you would want to share with our listeners about pilgrimage? I think just repeating that idea of the disposition of the pilgrim and that it really should be our disposition throughout our entire life. That again, you know, at certain times of our lives, we have the opportunities to go on pilgrimage. I'm leading a pilgrimage from Fatima to Lourdes next summer. I would love to take all of you with me, right? I love leading people and, and experiencing it through their eyes, right? That's what I love about this job. But all of us need to approach our life in that disposition of receptivity that disposition of being open to the Lord's surprises, we have agendas, we have our itineraries. 
And that's okay. It's okay to have life plans, especially for college students, right? But to be open to what does the Lord want to do rather than consuming what does he have to give me? What can I receive from him? And so while we think about pilgrimage as a distinct trip, again, having this pilgrim mentality in our life can can really alter our approach to this earth and to our community, to the church, and then ultimately remind us that hopefully all our eyes are set towards heaven. That's so beautiful. Well, I just want to encourage all of our listeners to make a pilgrimage this year, whether that is in your local city or in Rome or in the Holy Land, wherever you might want to go. I just encourage you try to make that happen this year. Offer that to God as a penance or intercessory prayer, or just as an adventure that you want to give him so that you can receive from him a little bit more of his light and his grace. So thank you, Joan, for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much, Jessica. And thanks everyone for listening. Oh,